Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? My, good. That's good to hear. We have almost made it through 2018, the last Sunday of the year. Uh, my name is Brad, and I am super excited to be with you guys this morning. As we kind of wind down this year and gear up for a new year starting in just a couple days, I want to talk to you this morning about the power of perspective. My wife and I have two daughters. One of them is, and I brought a picture of them, because what dad doesn't want to gloat over their kids, right? So on the right there is my daughter Rowan. And Rowan is almost nine months old. She is the happiest, most joy-filled, easygoing child I have ever met in my entire life. The girl literally wakes up in the morning laughing instead of crying. And I think God knew we needed Rowan because he also gave us the one on the left up there. <laughs> That's our three-year-old Emery. And I remember when Emery was two years old, People would often tell us, just you wait until she's three. Threes are harder than twos. And I would laugh at those people. And I would say, it can't get harder than it is right now. Let's just say I'm not laughing anymore. Yeah. They, were, they were very right. The threes are difficult. And Sam, my wife, and I are neck deep in the, we won't call them the terrible threes, but we'll call them the, I don't know, the, the hard threes or something like that. But uh, she is a super intense person with very strong leadership skills. <laughs> and it's one way to put it, right? And just a couple months ago, Emery, while dad was taking a nap on the couch, which is rookie mistake number one, never nap while you're watching your kids alone, she decides to take my wallet and empty out all of my credit cards from it all around the house. And so I wake up from this nap, and at first I think it's like super cute that she did this. It's funny, she's laughing. And then I start to look for these cards. And so I quickly find one underneath the couch, but then I can't find any more after that. And so I start ripping the house apart. I mean, I am lifting up couch cushions, unzipping pillows. I'm digging through her toys. I cannot find these stupid credit cards anywhere. And for a toddler, the longer that her dad is looking for these cards, the funnier this game gets to her. Yet I'm getting more and more frustrated as the day goes on. I mean, it has literally been hours and I'm still missing almost all of my credit cards and my license. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the one you need, right? And so I put her to bed that night and my wife comes home from work. And what does she do? Almost immediately, she finds all the credit cards. And I'm like, Sam, where were they? She's like, they were sitting right out in the open. Were you even looking for them? I'm like, yes, I was. But I know that as frustrated as I was that day with my kids, there's going to come a day when I miss these days with my kids where they steal my credit cards and don't actually charge anything to them when they steal them. <laughs> I'm gonna miss these days with my kids. It was Andy Bernard from the, the TV show, The Office, one of my favorite TV shows. He said this in the last episode, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. Isn't it true that perspective is a powerful reality in our lives? That perspective drives the way we parent. 
Perspective drives the way we interact with people. It drives the way maybe we run our businesses and work. And yet, while perspective is really powerful, it's also incredibly elusive. It's incredibly difficult to maintain perspective sometimes. It's incredibly difficult to hold on to it. And I would argue to you today that our perspective of God works much the same way that our perspective of God actually drives and influences the way that we experience God on a daily basis in our lives. And so the question that we're gonna wrestle with today and work around is, if our perspective drives our reality, could our perspective sometimes cause us to miss how God is actually working and active in our lives? Like if perspective is powerful and perspective is easy to lose at the same time, could that reality drive or cause us to miss God working for us and among us? And so the text of scripture that we are gonna be in today is in Exodus 3, one through five, and we're gonna put the words on the screen in just a couple minutes, but if you wanna begin turning to Exodus 3, one through five, we're gonna be talking about Moses and Chances are most of you are familiar with the name Moses. You've probably heard about him in some capacity. I actually found out that our kids are learning about the same story over in the block today, which is really cool. Uh, But Moses was born into slavery in Egypt. And he is rescued out of the Nile River by Pharaoh's daughter from genocide at that time. He's raised as royalty in the palace. And when he's about 40 years old, he strikes and kills an Egyptian who's beating a Hebrew slave and he flees Egypt as a fugitive. And he runs to a place called Midian as a 40-year-old man. And he becomes a shepherd there. He gets a job, he meets a woman and gets married there. And he becomes part of the community in Midian. And the story we're looking at today is one common day for Moses when he is out tending sheep in the wilderness of Midian. And so Exodus chapter three, verses one through five. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And so Moses has this incredible encounter with God at the burning bush. And maybe you've seen this portrayed in maybe movies or art before. And most of the time when I see this portrayed, what it often looks like is like this incredibly magnificent scene where like there's these blue flames in the bush that Moses can't help but notice. But the reality is that's probably not how it happened for Moses. In fact, if you go to this region of the world today and you talk to shepherds in that area, they will tell you that seeing a burning bush is actually a really common sight. That is just kind of a Tuesday morning occurrence where bushes that are dry will get electrostatic 
And it'll take something as simple as an animal rubbing up against a bush for it to ignite and light on fire. And so for Moses to see this bush in the first place, it's not that spectacular for him to see a bush on fire. But the text says in verse four that there is something unique about this particular bush. What is it? It's that it's on fire, but it's not burning up, right? It's, it's burning, but it's not being consumed by the fire. Now, this might surprise you. I, uh, I've never been a Boy Scout my entire life. And, uh, but I do know how to build a fire. So I've had a lot of fires um, this past year. Maybe you had some fires in the, in the fireplace for Christmas time. But um, just out of curiosity, if you were sitting around a fire, with all this fake snow on it there, um, if you were sitting around a fire and you saw logs burning, how long would it take you before you realized that it was burning but not being consumed by the fire? That'd probably take more than a couple seconds, right? It might take a couple minutes. If you're unobservant like me, it might take 30 minutes before you notice that the, that the log is burning but not being consumed or going through any change by the fire. You see, for Moses to see something that was a common sight, yet to notice that there was something unique about this particular bush that was on fire, that wasn't just a passing by, kind of out of the corner of his eye glance type thing. That required noticing that there was something unique. That required slowing down and understanding that there was something different about this particular bush. One Jewish rabbi comments on this particular passage and he says it this way. He says, the burning bush was not a miracle. It was a test. God wanted to find out whether Moses could pay attention to something for more than a few minutes. When Moses did... God spoke. The trick is to pay attention to what is going on around you long enough to behold the miracle without falling asleep. There is a whole other world right here within this one whenever we pay attention. I'm going to read that last line again. There is another world right here within this one whenever we pay attention. You see, we just finished celebrating Christmas the Advent season, where we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. And the story, the narrative of Scripture is not about a God who exists in some other faraway realm. The story of Scripture is not that the holy is distant or far away or other. The story of Scripture is the story of a God from the very beginning of time who has made his dwelling among us who has communed with his people face to face, who has unleashed his presence in this world. The psalmist says the entire earth is full of the glory of God. Writers throughout the Bible talk about how everything in the world is pointing us towards God. And so when Moses experiences this burning bush, he experiences the reality that the holy is here, and the holy is now. now. Could it be that in your life, that there are burning bushes all around you, that God is constantly trying to get your attention, trying to speak to you, and trying to move on your behalf? And often, if you're like me, sometimes we're too busy, we're too preoccupied, we're too efficient to notice it. 
Sometimes we don't catch the subtlety of how God's presence is here among us and we completely miss it. God finds someone in Moses who is willing to slow down long enough to pay attention and as a result, he beholds an incredible miracle. So in verse five, moving along in the text, notice what happens next. God commands Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your shoes because the ground that you are standing on is holy ground. As Moses experiences God, there is both a reverence for God and an intimacy with God that Moses experiences in this moment. He experiences holy ground. Now, it might be easy to look at Moses and to think, well, he's like a giant of the faith. It's Moses after all. But keep in mind, in his life, he hadn't really done anything yet. Like, he was, he was born and raised in Egypt, and he was a shepherd in Midian, but he hadn't delivered God's people yet. He hadn't, uh, he hadn't done miracles or anything like that yet in his life. And so when God calls Moses, he's calling a pretty ordinary guy into something pretty spectacular. You see, the only thing required for Moses to experience holy ground was God's presence and Moses' awareness of that presence. And I would argue that the same thing is true for us today. That we can experience holy ground when God is present, which we already know he is. And when we become aware of that presence. You see, we don't say that God shows up. God's already here. We step into an awareness of his presence and it's in those moments where we can experience holy ground. Where we can experience the holy even in the boring, ordinary parts of life. And so I would argue to you that there are two perspectives that we can have on this. Really two fundamental perspectives that we can have on how God operates. The first one is a problematic perspective. It's a perspective that says even the holiest parts of life are mundane. If you follow the story of Moses, you know that he goes back to Egypt through a series of plagues and signs and wonders, the Israelites are freed and then eventually they arrive at the Red Sea. Now there's a Jewish legend, it's called the Midrash, which is basically just an oral tradition passed down from Jewish generation to generation about two young boys who pass over the Red Sea. And so we know that God parts the Red Sea in a miraculous, one of his greatest miracles that he performs and the Israelites walk down the Red Sea as if it's dry ground. Yet these two boys had quite a different experience, according to this legend. Their names are Reuben and Shimon. And as they're walking, they step into a puddle, and they step into a mug pit, and they start grumbling, and they start complaining. And they start saying, how is this any different than Egypt? This mud pit is like the mud pits in Egypt. And they're angry, and they're upset. And what they fail to recognize is that if only they were to look up, they would see that their relatives and their friends and their neighbors and their community are rejoicing on the other side of the sea because God has delivered them. You see, for these two young boys, the miracle never made it into their hearts. It never happened for them because they weren't willing to look up and see. The holy was mundane for them and they didn't experience the miracle. And we see this throughout scripture as well, over and over and over again with the Israelite people where God miraculously provides and they don't see the miracle that he is doing among them. And I think that we live sometimes that same way today in 2018. 
If I'm honest, sometimes coming into this place, coming to church on a Sunday feels more like a chore or an obligation or something to check off a religious checklist. And yet, in this place, do you anticipate that we are about to meet with the God of the universe? That this space is holy. That this space here is an opportunity to experience God's presence so that we can go out and live out God's presence every other day of our week. I'm just as thankful as the next person for the religious freedom that we have in our country. But if you study church history, if you study the history of Christianity, the reality is is that oftentimes the church thrives under persecution than under freedom. What you see happening over and over again throughout church history is that people living under persecution understand something that the, the holy is not mundane, but instead, the other perspective is that the mundane is holy. Even the most boring Monday morning parts of our life are exploding with holy potential. That your commute on the way to work, that getting your kids ready for school on a Tuesday morning is exploding with holy potential. And I think sometimes we're too busy too frustrated, moving too quickly to slow down long enough and see that God might be speaking to us in those moments. There's a a man that lived about 300 years ago named Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence is somebody that even to this day, Christians around the globe talk about as an example of faith. Brother Lawrence fought in the 30 years war And he was injured and eventually he converted to Christianity and decided to go to a monastery in Paris. He became a monk. And Brother Lawrence was not given the most glamorous of jobs in this monastery. He was uh, both a cook, he washed dishes, and he fixed other monks' shoes. But we talk about Brother Lawrence today as an example of faith and experiencing God's presence, not because of his job, not because he was a cobbler or a cook. We talk about Brother Lawrence today as an example of faith because he lived as though the mundane was holy. Every single task, every single thing he did, he practiced the presence of God in those tasks, in those moments. There's a quote here that he has. It says this, we can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him, and that done, if there is nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him, who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. And he's not saying like, oh, for the love of God. He's saying like, pick up a straw for the love of God. Think often on God, by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. Brother Lawrence understood that the most mundane tasks in his life were filled with holy potential. For Brother Lawrence, there was no such thing as secular and sacred as separate categories. All of it was sacred. All of it was divine. Even the daily tasks of washing dishes, of fixing other people's shoes, were acts of worship 
and holiness for Brother Lawrence. And you and I can experience the same thing today in our jobs, in our families, in our schools, wherever the context is that you find yourself in. And so how do we do this? How do we begin to live on holy ground? I think the answer is somewhat simple. It has to do with what we're looking for. Because what we're looking for actually determines what we see. Are you looking for burning bushes in your life? Are you actively looking and searching for God to speak to you in the moments that seem stressful or mundane or worthless? If you're looking for God, I promise you, you will see him. You will experience him. But if you're not looking for him, chances are you could miss it. You could miss his nearness. You could miss the peace that he offers. You could miss his very presence in your life. And so I think a simple question that we can ask, and if you have kids, you can ask this question at your dinner tables. If you're single or married or or what have you, you can ask this question throughout your day. The question is this, where did I see God today? It's a simple question. Imagine asking your kids to tell you where they saw God today. Imagine how that might reframe your perspective to look for God and to see him. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to end a day where I have to say, I didn't see God today because I wasn't looking for him. I didn't experience all his goodness and his presence because I wasn't pursuing him with everything that I have. I want to experience more in this life. I want to experience the holy, even among the mundane, in this life. And I believe that we can. Jacob in Genesis is sleeping and he wakes up and he senses that God's presence was in the place that he was. And he says this famous quote from scripture, God was in this place and I didn't even realize it. I didn't know it. I wanna know and experience God's presence in the day-to-day stuff of my life. I began putting this kind of discipline into practice in my own life over this last year. And I've been doing it for about six months now of just asking that simple question, where did I see God today? And let me tell you, he has revealed himself to me in ways that I promise you I would have missed had I not started asking this question. I mentioned that I have a three-year-old little daughter and I feel like I have to share a story that redeems her a little bit because I kind of threw under the bus earlier (laughs) in the service. Um, But... She, uh, she just has this heart and this inquisitive mind that's just incredible. And she recently discovered the question, why, daddy? Like, everything is why right now. And so we were driving along downtown the other day, and there was a homeless man, while we were stopped at a stoplight, standing right next to our car with a sign. And I wanted to look away. I wanted to pretend to be preoccupied. I, didn't, I wanted to avoid an awkward interaction. But my daughter saw him, and she said, why is, that daddy, or why is that man standing right there, daddy? And so to set a good example, I rolled down the window and we talked to him for a minute and gave him some money and, the, and then drove on. And uh, we found out his name was Charlie, but I didn't really think much of it beyond that. And then it wasn't until later that night where Emery, my daughter, we were tucking her into bed. We were going through a five-hour bedtime routine. If you're a parent of a toddler, you know this well. And she asks me, daddy, can we pray for Charlie? And like in that moment, I was like, man, she wants to pray for this 
this guy. And so she prays the most innocent, beautiful three-year-old prayer that was something along the lines of, Jesus, thank you for Charlie. You love him and, and so do I, or something like that. And as she prayed, tears started streaming down my face. And I realized in that moment that I could have missed an opportunity to see somebody like Charlie, how God sees them. That I could have missed and just driven by this moment and not acknowledged it and avoided it because it made me feel uncomfortable or because I was in a hurry. But Emery, my three-year-old, taught me what it looks like to experience holy ground in the way that she chose to love somebody. And so, funny thing is, after that one instance, Emery has not stopped talking about Charlie. We pray for him literally every single night. She's so obsessed with seeing Charlie that we've gone and visited him like multiple times. We get out of our car and go stand with him. And Charlie knows her by name now, like they're friends. It's the weirdest friendship, but it's so cool. Because Emery, a three-year-old, was not in a hurry. She was not rushed. In her own way, she saw God in that moment in a way that I didn't. Where in your life are you overlooking the presence of God? Where in your life are you too rushed? Are you too hurried to see that he is present and that he is with you? As I look back over my year this last year, I have experienced holy ground moments so many different times. I've experienced it in tough conversations with friends where we walk through the difficulties of life together. That's the beauty of small groups here at Fine is that it is a place where you can have holy ground moments all the time with other people in our community. I've experienced it in a hospital room just last week with a friend, not knowing it would be the last time I saw her or prayed with her. I experienced holy ground with coffee with my wife in the morning, just slowing down and taking the moments in with my family, not so that we can have a strong family or make good memories, though those things are good, but it's in those moments where we can actually experience the peace and the goodness and the presence of God. So where is it for you? Maybe it stopped at a stoplight and instead of pulling out your phone, you just go to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm feeling unrest right now. I'm feeling anxious right now. I give that to you. I lay that before you. Maybe it's when you're laying in bed at night reflecting on the day and you just say a simple prayer, God, thank you for the way that I saw you move today. Again, I don't know what it is for you, but I believe that in your life, there are opportunities for you to experience the presence of God all the time. And when you do, when you look for those, you will experience his love in some really incredible ways in the year ahead. So the band is obviously back up here and we're gonna, we're gonna continue worshiping this morning. We're gonna sing together. And as we sing, I want you to experience the presence of God in this place. The same God who sent his son to earth as a baby. The same God who laid down his life out of love for you. The same God who holds the cosmos in order is closer and 
present more than you could ever imagine. So let's pray together and then we'll sing. God, right now in this moment, we acknowledge that you are near. We acknowledge that your presence is with us. Every single day we celebrate Emmanuel. God with us. God comforting us. God for us. God on our side. God, I pray that as we we enter into a new year, may 2019 not look like every other year. God, may we experience your presence in ways that we maybe never have before in our lives because we are looking for it. So God, it's in that spirit that we pray that we thank you for your goodness and your nearness. And all God's people said,